Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. Today, we're going deep into the writer's room. I'm your host, Angelo DeCipio. I'm joined today by a very dear friend and a brand new guest. Uh, joining me, our friend Nikita Brezhnikov. Nikki, how you doing, my friend? Good morning, everybody. It is indeed morning in Seattle, way out in the Pacific Coast. North. And, north of uh, Seattle. North. Please. North please of Seattle. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Nikki. I'm in the gulag. Yes. And joining us, a first timer with Wrestling with the Future. He is a boy. To say this man is an author is an understatement. Holy crap. He's got more stuff out than King James right now. I'm going to tell you something. Scott <laughs> Teal, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Angelo. How are you? I'm wonderful, brother. This is just kind of a. And, and Nikita will tell you, normally I have three or four other guys here with me. I decided I want to go solo on this one because I really wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit. And I wanted to get a chance to do something I really don't have a chance to do often, Scott. Okay. And that's to pick Nikita's brain. He's my friend and we talk a lot. But I never got a chance to get into his head. And maybe you can open the door into his head so we can find out why and how and all this... Uh, this book came to be so, and that's another reason Nikki's here. So right. Scott, you know, it seems that anyone who is even remotely interested in wrestling or has a uh, a wrestling book probably has the name Scott Teal in their house. You're probably on somebody's coffee table right now or on their bookshelf, and that's probably not an exaggeration. Um, you've authored. At last count that I was able to, and I think it's fairly accurate, something like 340 books. Well, in that's that, a, yeah, combination books and periodicals, magazines, okay. that kind of thing. Yes. I was going to say, you, do you ever sleep, brother? <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> well, ask you me that. You spend all your time Not writing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'd have to, right I'd have to uh, make a count, but I, it's not 300, but I would say it's it's well over 100. Uh, just the books alone, like the ones you put behind you there in the picture. Uh, I've got 45 of those. I got four coming out by the end of August, four more coming out by the end of August. Okay, so let me let me say this for the record. The number that I gave of 340 will accurately be reflected here in about six months. <laughs> <laughs> I keep turning them out. That could be. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Every every book has Scott Teal, authored by, <laughs> co-authored by. That brings me to my friend Nikita Brezhnikov. Uh, Scott, how did you and Nikki meet? That's a good question. I Nikita, do you to death. I can't. I, I can't. I can't. Down and pestered you. That's what it was. Yeah. He yeah. bugged me to death until I finally answered his email. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> and Scott was actually visiting out here one time with his family, but he was on vacation and there was some kind of other event going on. And it's like, man, I could get down there, but it would literally take that 35 miles I described. It would take three hours when they have some event going on. The traffic here wow. is, is horrendous. So I said, man, I'll pass. And you guys are having a family time anyway. So I said, I'll catch you when you, you get back home and you get settled. And that's what we did. Yeah, we spent a whole you know, uh, whole week with Dean Silverstone. And, oh! Uh, oh, 
That's while true. we were there, he, 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 we made plans to, uh, to meet up at his store, Golden Oldies record store. And sure. we met, we had, I guess there is 10, 15, uh, wrestling fans, John, Johnny Buff, old time carny wrestler, professional wrestler showed up and, uh, we just had a great time hanging around Dean's there's store there. Did you yeah, know there's a name Dick's from the hamburgers? You know, I actually know that name. <laughs> I'm, I'm old. Did you get a hamburger? I'm actually a few months. I'm actually a few months older than Nikita, and like I'm like two days older than Dirt, basically. Wow. You're probably not as old as <laughs> I am. I don't think. I don't think you're old as I am. So. Well, uh, here's the thing. Um, the the interesting thing about Nikita's book, and I I read the book, and we've talked about it on the show. Um, it's written from a very different perspective than you're used to writing. You're, you know, people understand that when they have a Scott Teal book, it's generally a biography of a, a wrestling personality. This was a little different because Nikita's book comes to us from the perspective of the fan. Uh, and Nikki, you wrote this book from the fan perspective and rather than the insider you, there was a little a, a little peak of the inside, but you generally wrote it from the you know the fan growing up in the Northeast. Yes, and that's where the title, when it was real, what it, this is what made my mind form around this idea. It was like I told the wife, you know, I'm going to write this one day. When I retired from the police department, that's what I sat down and started to do because everybody I talked to, whatever lawyers. Police, whoever, firemen, wrestling touched their lives. And people on the East Coast, it was WWWF. Oh, my so God. It's like, man, this thing, it still lives within us. So yeah. what it meant to us, it was like I told somebody, like, tag team championship changes were epic. I mean, that was big deals when the heavyweight belt would change the world stuff. So for yeah. us. I'm not going to say it was better than sex, but I mean, it was pretty damn close. I'll tell you that. I hear you. I'll put it that way. Now, Scott, because uh, Nikki is an, an East Coast guy, Baltimore-based guy, and it's pretty apparent that you're you're not, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. was it difficult for you to put your... To put your uh, your mindset in that 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 East Coast frame of mind to understand you know his perspective where he was coming from, Did, could you relate? In other words, absolutely. Uh, I grew up really just like Nikita did in, in watching the wrestling business for uh, about three four years. All I did was was watch, and I never missed it. I was uh, I'd go to spot shows whenever I could. I go to Tampa whenever I could. And I loved every minute of it. So I had the fan in me. Uh, and I, I will say this. The best books are written by those people who were fans at one time. Because they understand what it is that, that turns turns wrestling fans on as far as reading and as far as stories go. Uh, as far as the getting with Nikita, uh, he had that thing. I mean, it was so good. In fact, <laughs> to be honest, and Nikita will uh, testify to this, at first, he had a hard time talking me into it. I've had two or three books like that where it was somebody like downtown Bruno. 
I told Bruno, I said, Bruno, you're a guy from the 80s, the 90s, actually. Yeah. I have no interest. Anything past 1984, 85, I, I, my eyes glaze over. But yeah. Bruno's story was just phenomenal. I loved it. It was a different era. Same with Nikita. You know, yeah. I thought, well, this is, you know, this is a little bit different. It is the 70s, but I'm not real sure uh, that there's going to be an interest for this. Cause I saw it as just sort of a, at first, you know, people put out books like results books, you know, yeah, they're great yeah. because they have, but they're sort of boring. You know, there, there's not much to them, but Nikita intertwined all these results with stories and with yeah. personal stories. And it was phenomenal. You know, it's just, I just love the way he, 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 he did it all. So to sit what down I, and what get I work really on enjoyed it, about Nikki's writing and Nikki, I'll, I'll tell you now that I, I'll talk to you like you're here. <laughs> yes. Uh, what I like that that you did, and you have to almost kind of be from the East Coast to understand this. It's that you spoke to me like two guys hanging out on the street corner or sitting on the stoop. Yeah, yeah. You're sitting on the stoop, shooting shit. You know, shooting the bullshit. Right. That's what I liked. It was no nonsense, no flowery language. Straight up, here's what here's the way it was. Yes. This is my take on it. There you go. And hey, that's what I enjoyed about it. Let me move my camera here. There we go. Nothing um, behind the curtain. That was none of anybody's business. Gave a little exactly. insight on a few angles, which was interesting and kind of fun, but no dirt, absolutely no bad mouthing because it's like, hey, these people, men and women in wrestling, they saved this kid. I was a severely abused child. It was horrible. I turned on that television. They were there. And when you exactly. went to that arena, it's like, whoa, man, Christmas every month. It was That was your go-to, and I can certainly relate to that. You said something super important, Nikki. You said something super important. They didn't let you behind the curtain. You know, Scott, and, and I want to uh, kind of your insight on this here. Wrestling books are not new. Um, the idea of getting into the a wrestler's mindset is not new. Um, the results books have been around for time in memoriam. When wrestlers started telling their stories, however, back in the 50s and 60s in their books, even then... And I think, Nikki, you'll understand, too. Even then, they kayfabed you. Yes. They still kayfabed you, even though it was a quote-unquote autobiography or biographical story. Yes. That, to me, that just takes all authenticity away from the notion of a biography or an autobiographical book. If you're going to... You're not... You're not doing your 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 uh, fans or your your potential literary public any favor by kayfaving what they already know. There's no need to buy the book if you're going to kayfabe somebody. Yes. Now, case in point, perfect case in point. Much as I loved him, you know, and God rest his soul, Bruno San Martino. Yes. You know. You, you know where I'm going, Nikki. Okay? When I read that book, I'm like, Bruno, come on. I mean, geez. You know? But now we, we love him, so we eat it. 
And and you know, Nikki, in the interest of full disclosure, Scott, we've had Sal Carrenti here who authored Bruno's book with Bruno. In fact, Scott's been here twice. And I said, Scott, I mean, I, I, I said, Sal, I said, uh, how can you in all candor say that you authored Bruno's book? These are stories he's told for the last 50 years. And there's, there's nothing new about them. He didn't pull any onion back. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't, he didn't let us see the wizard behind the curtain. Yeah. He came fake. There's a lot of problems with the, uh, with that ever up until, uh, I don't know if Ole was, I, I would say Ole is probably one of the first that really went behind the scenes. I, I don't know when Mick Foley's books were published, but there were, were no autobiographies before the eighties. Uh, you mentioned the fifties and sixties. There just weren't. Uh, even in the 80s, though, when some of the late 80s, when some of them came out, yes, they were strictly yeah. kayfabe. And it wasn't until the 90s that the guys started speaking out. Uh, I had a newsletter called Whatever Happened To. And I started out just simply telling stories that. of the guys. I didn't tell, you know, background, any kayfabe information. But after three or four issues and the guys started saying, you know, why don't you tell some of these stories and start telling some of it? So it did begin yeah. to come out. And it, it, it was even when I talked to Don Fargo, and that was probably, I guess, 2003. I mean, Don and I had been friends forever. But when, when I started talking to him about his book, he was, it was going to be a kayfabe thing. He did not want to break kayfabe. And this is in the 2000s. These guys were, and me too. I mean, I was the same way. I worked for Nick Goulas, and, and I, I was, Nick, Nick told me when he brought me to work for him, that's one of the first mm-hmm. things he said. You don't share the inside information with the fans. You keep it to yourself. Oh, I'm telling so, you what, brother. When that's drilled into you for 20, 30 years, yeah. it's hard to break out of that. And it there's still really, a few guys really that is. It really is. But, and it's, it's kind of, um, it's a slippery slope. It really is. You're, there's, there's the dilemma you, you reach when you, as an author, and, and Nikita, I'm sure you went through this too, you know, just how much to let out, you know, how much do you let them peak, um, if at all, in some cases, but it's now where everything is kayfabe is all, but in fact, it, it, let's just call a spade a spade. It's gone. Okay. Kayfabe is dead. It's much as I hate to admit that, you know, rest in peace, kayfabe, um, twice already now. <laughs> it it died twice already. Um, it it died a death of ignorance and it died a, a gruesome death of uh, uh, anyway. Um, but if you're going to if you're going to write a book and if you're going to be trusted with someone's story and and you're going to be trusted to tell that story in fullness and candor and honesty don't you almost have to have the green light to break all the barriers to to pull you know, to pull down the the curtain to to pull back the layers on the onion and let's see what's at the heart of this person absolutely uh sorry to jump in the key I should have let no, you go no, but one of the first things I, yes, yeah, (laughs) one of the first things I cover with a guy when, when we start talking about a book is, is I tell him directly, I say, we're not going to hold anything back. I said, 
uh, if we're going to do a book, then we're not going to do a book about K, a kayfabe type book. I said, because everything's already out there. And the guys that once in a while, I have a guy, they'll say, yeah, but I hate to do that. I, I said, hey, there's nothing left that isn't already known. You're not going to, you know, you, you're not going to keep any secrets because, uh, you know, you mentioned Angelo a minute ago, the slippery slope. Well, we're at the bottom of the slope. In fact, we're off the bottom of the slide. There's no kayfabe whatsoever. And that's one yeah. of the things that's important for a writer. You, the, the writer needs to be up front with the guy right up, right at the beginning and say, listen, this is going to be a tell-all book. And I go so far as to tell people this. Jody Hamilton told me one time while we were doing the interview, he says, mm -hmm. you know, I got this story about this guy, but it would probably get him divorced or it's hurt his family, make his family feel ashamed. I say, Jody, what I want you to do is tell me everything. I don't care how bad it is, whether it'll get a guy killed, divorced. I want you to tell it to me because here's what we do. Instead of losing a good story or a great story, possibly, what we do is instead of saying uh, Nikita Bresnikov had six girls in his room one night at the Holiday Inn, we say, well, you know, there's this wrestler one night at the Holiday Inn. He had six girls in his room. We aren't putting anybody on the spot. We right. tell the story, you know, you get that exactly. great story, you know, so you don't lose anything. So that's what I tell all sure. the guys. I say, I want, you, and anything we, we do, you'll get final approval on, you'll get to read it. And if you say, exactly. I'd rather this story not be out there, then we won't put it in there. So like the, that, well, if you have all the information, if, if you have, here's my, because I've written two books and here's, here's the way I approached it. And I am by no means an author believe me when i tell you um i had a lot of help just spelling words okay <laughs> but he here's the thing. there's uh, my if, guy right there that saved me he did i'll i'll say that for everybody i couldn't have done that without scott deal i still laugh oh. i'm like i got a book you gotta be kidding i hated <laughs> school i was terrible it's like right? i get out of here I just tuned up what you gave me. You you did a great, super, I mean, absolutely fantastic job. And all I had to do was tune it up. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, and I and, and I understand that. Like I said, you know, I, I am by no means a, an author. You know, and, you know, like I said, I had to, I had to, you know, get help spelling words. But you know, nobody knows your story better than you do. And I've always been of the mindset that put everything in it. You can always edit out, yep. but it's real hard to edit in. Yeah. That, that's Absolutely. what always been my, my rule of thumb. And I, oh, and I continue like to write. great Jack Webb used to say, the names are changed to protect the innocent. So just <laughs> that's right. said, you don't know who it is, but the story is there. Exactly. That, that's a real good point, Nick. It's a real good point. Uh, Scott, have you ever actually had to do that with someone's, you know, life story oh. where you had to change, change names? Oh, yeah. Places, I, just, I, just don't, I just don't use a name. You know, I just say a wrestler or this guy. There was this one guy one time he did this or he did that, you know. Uh, no, nah, yeah, that's that's happened a lot of times. There, there's so many good stories. And, and do you ever? Like, it is true. You, you don't want to hurt anybody. Oh. You don't want to hurt their family. You don't want to hurt their, you know, their wives or anybody. Well, do you ever run into what I call National Enquirer Syndrome? Where you, you know where I'm going with this, right? I guess. Hit me with it. Right, here, here's where I'm going with it. The National Enquirer Syndrome is this. 
a reliable source said, a friend of this person said, we have it on good authority that this person's second cousin once removed on his husband's side said. Yeah. You know where uh, I'm I, going with that. I, I've been there and, and in, re, in the wrestling, I mean, it may be that way in every sport. Anybody writes an autobiography, but in the wrestling business, you never know whether a guy's telling you the truth or not. I mean, all the guys were great shooters. That's the first thing you'll learn. You know, they're all the best. They're all hookers. But, but what I do is this, if I hear a story that sounds a bit outlandish, especially if it's some guy talking about himself, I'll wait a couple months and I'll call him back and I'll ask him the same question. Chances are he's forgotten that I asked him the first time and I'll ah, see if go. he tells it the right, the same way the second time, because most of the time they won't. And so that, that's, that's a good way really to do that. Thank you for saying that. Have you ever caught a guy in a, in a, a pile of bullshit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And how I, often? I, I'm not that often. You know, most of the time you can't, you really can't tell, you know, and, and when I have called them back, you know, it, you know, it, yeah, I've had a few guys that, that did tell it differently, but you just, you just, yeah, it's hard to tell, you know, it, it's hard to say what's true. Uh, the problem is most of this stuff has never been written down, like in sports, football, they're in the newspapers, yeah. basketball, they're in the newspapers, everything they do, wrestling didn't have that. You know, so you, we're just sort of taking the guy's word that these different things happen. I have had guys tell me stuff, you know, uh, well, and not necessarily lies, but a lot of the guys, they tell you things the way they remember it. And it's probably a lot of times they remember things incorrectly. Uh, good example, Bill and Joe Sky, Bill and Joe Turner. I love those two sure. guys, but they tell me all, they used to, used to tell me all the time when we were Bill and Joe Sky, we wrestled, we had a run in Tennessee for a year and a half. They were here for like four months, you know, but that's the kind of thing I have to do when I start doing my research to be sure those, those facts are accurate. They weren't lying to me by telling me it was a year and a half, but that's the way they remembered in their mind to them. It seemed like it was a long, long time. And that's what yeah. uh, Nikita and I had to do, you know, with all the, he wrote that whole yeah. book. And then we had to go back and check this date, check that date. We checked every single date in that book. Yes checked everything who was there and I, I remember parts where Nikita even Nikita he he had something in there a couple of times this wrestler did this at with so and so at this particular time well when I got looking I got researching it that wrestler was in Portland he wasn't in the WWE and it wasn't that John was uh Nikita was lying but it was the fact that that's the way he remembered it. You see, now, and, and it, I didn't, now wait a minute. Let me let me straighten that out, Scott. I there we go. <laughs> I didn't even know that until you told me. It right. was Ken Patera in 1978 when he was yep. uh, he was pissed off because they gave the belt to Backlund, and it, he even wrote it in Backlund's book. He said, "You know, I'm sitting there with Vinny Jr. and I'm like, hey, what the hell's going on? You know, I bust my ass here." So he got mad, and we were all told by your uncle there, Ange, that Patera had an injury. So they, they canceled yeah. Baltimore, Washington. The last yeah. thing he did was the Garden on May 22nd. Yeah. And then uh, he's he's in uh, North Carolina, and he's down in Charlotte. I didn't know that till Scott revealed. I'm like, Scott, I thought he was legitimately busted up and couldn't work. It's like, damn. <laughs> well, then let's, let's take... <laughs> Let's take a, kind of the opposite approach on that one. Nikki, have you ever written a story that you know is your story 
that you experienced and had someone tell you, no, that's not how it happened? Yes, a couple of times. And the, the old timers, <laughs> the old timers, they tend to forget. You know, they tend to forget what they say and what actually happened. Oh, so boy. it's like the you know, reality is like we can go and look at the results books and this is the way it played out. But it's like, OK, out of respect, you're right. I agree yeah. with you 100 percent. Now, the, the only thing that there was a couple that of revelations that I made and one again was with Phil Zacco and the chief with the broken leg incident. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, that was February 14th of 79, and we were in the teeth of a blizzard, which hit on the 19th. So that night, it was probably like 10 degrees. And, you know, Hamburg, Pennsylvania is frigid. So Chief's like, here's what I want to do. I want to bring, because it was a volunteer fire department's building to begin with. He said, I want the AMBO to come in, take me from laying outside the rain. And and Phil Zacco's like, are you crazy? It's 10 degrees. I'm not opening that door. And Chief's like, the hell with it. I won't do it then. So he won out. They do it. But then when they put him into the AMBO and take him to the hospital, you know, pretend they're going to the hospital, the people yeah. are leaving. All right. Yeah. People are just like, oh, my. They're so into it, which is what we always talk about. They're going to go follow the AMBO to the hospital. So it's like, now what the hell do we do? Are we going to the Reading Hospital? You know, it's like, geez. <laughs> Unbelievable. But see, then I had somebody recently tell me, well, they knew that was good. They were going to go to the hospital and they were going to take pictures there. But it's like, that's not what Chief told me. So I don't believe it. I believe Chief's version because it probably would catch them off guard. It's like, here, everybody's following us, you know. Nikki, when it was real, that's what they did. Yes, sir. You better believe it. That's what they did. I told Patera. They bought into it. They bought into they, they bought into the the suspension of disbelief. Yes. They bought into it. They, you know, they, they didn't know any better. No one smartened anybody up. That's another thing I want to talk to, uh, to you, Nikki and Scott about, about being smartened up. Scott, when was, when were you smartened up in earnest? And, and who was, who was the one that smartened you up to the business? It, it, really, it was a gradual thing, uh, but I started watching pro wrestling in 1968, and by okay. 1972, I was going to the spot shows, Tampa, uh, and I I started. I met a few of the guys, not very many of them, just a, a few. I met Koa Tiki, a Hawaiian wrestler. We became good friends, but as I hung around, I began hearing these words, these, uh, you know, carny words, and so what I yeah. did... It's funny. I started writing them down and I'd go back to my typewriter and I'd type and I carried this little, I wish I had this thing, but I carried this little piece of paper in my wallet for years before I got really smartened up with all these words on it. What, what job meant, what uh, shoot meant. And I carried this little, and I'd refer to it every once in a while. Well, when I came to Tennessee and I started hanging around, I met more of the guys before I went to work for Nick. And that's really when I got smartened up. And of course uh, I was, Fairly smart until uh, Nick uh, invited me to come work for him. At that point, uh, Katie barred the door. I mean, I was smartened up to everything. Yeah. Nick told me, day one, <laughs> Nick told me, he says, you can go in the dressing room. You know, you're welcome to do anything you want to do, which that was not, didn't hardly ever happen for photographers. That was, first of all, that was ex- so extraordinarily rare. 
yes. that you were given glad. that access. It's even more rare, Nikita, that some promoter would let you do that. Yes. Especially to, to have access to the locker room. Are you kidding me? The trust was enormous then, without a doubt, Scott. We but, just but, had... It's but, funny, Nikki. It, it, we just Scott had... Uh, superstar Bill Dundee on the show. Okay. And he told the story about that. About this girl he was dating at the time who sat in the audience and she saw the show and then she came up to the locker room and thought she was going to go in, you know, and then say hi to Bill. Well, they actually had to escort her out the building, you know, and they explained to her when she got outside, you know, like, this is, we can't have you here seen with him mm. because it might, you know, infringe upon the other female fans from purchasing a picture or an autograph or whatever the or case him, may be. Get, or get him divorced from his wife. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But. Especially when you talk about the name Nick Goulas. Now, here's a name I know, okay? Because I spent 15 years in Tennessee, and I knew a lot of people in the wrestling business. Nick Goulas was one of those. He was a very unconventional, very, very unorthodox, uh, to use that word, promoter. Um, cheap as the day is long, notoriously stingy, um, you know, yep. he, he never met a dollar he didn't part with. Um, <laughs> but in addition to that, he was a guy who, and we've talked about this before, who insisted, I don't know why, but insisted in on promoting his son, George, God love him, um, who had no talent and was not athletic and could not wrestle, but... For I guess if you're the promoter and you're the promoter's kid, you get away with certain shit. But yeah. it just it it amazes me that you were given that kind of access to the back, especially for somebody who had, you know, as we used to say, didn't, you know, earn their bones or pay their, you know, pay their dues. Right. You know, absolutely keep, so to speak. I but, went, uh, as I said, I, you know, I was smartened up slowly and I was learning things, but when yeah. I went to work for Nick, I was not smart, smart. I just knew words. And the hardest yeah. thing for me was when I'd be in the dressing room, it was like guys would say something and I, and yeah. it was almost like they expected me to know what they're talking about and to bluff my way through for the next few weeks, not knowing a lot of stuff, a lot of the stuff that I, that they thought I knew. You know, that was yeah. the hardest part, you know, without, let, you know, I don't want him saying, why doesn't this guy know what this is? You know, what a mark, he must be a mark or something, you know, I, so that was yeah. the hardest part is, is not, you know, bluffing my way through as if I knew exactly what they were talking about. Sure. Well, i tell you what, there's, there's, there's always, you know, it always helped back in the day to know, you know, a, a half a dozen carny words, you know. Um, and, and when well, Nikki, when was the first time you were ever smartened up to the, to the carny lingo? Well, before the carny lingo, now, when I first smartened up to the business a little bit, yeah, back in 1978, 
I started buying photos from a guy that was selling at ringside. That's a lot of the things I post on my page every night. People I think I took them like, you got to be kidding. I wish I had that, that <laughs> the gift. Those are professional photos. I bought them. But mm -hmm. then I become friends with this guy. So he starts giving me information. He tells me about Peter Maivia's heel turn coming up. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I was like, Peter Maivia, you know, he's the <laughs> nicest guy in the world. This isn't going to happen. This guy must be goofy. But I tell my friends and they're like, get yeah. out of here. That's not going to be. And then we're starting to watch it. And it's like, I'll be damned. This guy was telling me the truth. Yeah. Then, you know, he starts telling me about some other things. But I'll tell you what, nobody knew about Hogan. That, or uh, that Backlund was going to lose. They, they knew Hogan, but they didn't know Backlund was going to lose to Sheik that night. That yeah. was quiet. Nobody saw that coming. But did then, the photographer use the, uh, the, use the term heel, or did he just say Peter Maivia is going to go bad? He didn't use the term heel. He just okay. said he was going to become a bad guy, is what he yeah. said. Now, when I learned all the lingo was when I walked in the door with Nikolai. And then even then, it was still like, uh, you know, picking up because Nikolai, I said, Nikolai, I've been watching Barrett's like 20 some years. I know everything. And then it was like, oh, boy, <laughs> you, what a nitwit I am. I had no clue. And just listening to what people say, like, you, like you're talking about, Scott, yeah. you know, you're trying to absorb these words and what the hell they're talking. It's like signals in baseball. Man, is that curve coming or is it a fastball? You know, you got to know what's going <laughs> yep. on. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, I, I remember one time we were, we, we were doing at the uh, we were doing the promos like Wednesday afternoon. We used to go to the TV station do the interviews, and yeah. Len Rossi was filling in for Nick. He was doing some of the some of the uh, promos, uh, you know, talking to the rat. He'd ask the wrestler what they're going to do the next Wednesday night, how how they feel about their chances in, in the match, and yeah. Len says, and I can still hear him say this. He says, "You've been around this territory for a long time. What do you think about so and so?" And man, I'm telling you, when that interview was over, Nick Goulas came out there and laid in the land. Don't um, ever use the word too. territory. That, that's not, that's one of our words. We do not call this a territory, call it the wrestling area or something. I'll never forget that. But that's how uh, strict they were back then. You couldn't even oh, use the sure. word territory, you know, in that case. Another story, before I learned one single carny word, I was green as grass. I called Coach John Heath in Sarasota. He coached the uh, Cardinal Mooney uh, wrestling team. Yeah. And I told him I'd like to do an interview for one of the magazines, Big Book of Wrestling. He says, yeah, come on over. So I went over with a friend, a friend of mine from Chicago, Mike Navarra. And we're sitting there with John, uh, John Heath. And, and I, I asked him something about Dr. Blood. I, we were talking about mask wrestlers. And I said, you know, there's been a lot of mask wrestlers through here. And I find out who they all are. But I never knew who dr blood is or was and john heath looks at me he says i mean he looked me dead in the eye he says well he's are you guys smart and i said and you know i went through my mind i thought well yeah i get a's and b's you know <laughs> I, I, that's exactly <laughs> what and i said oh yeah we're smart coming. and he went ahead and told us you know it was dale lewis you know yeah. but it's the funniest thing because i thought he meant you know are you smart you, you get good grades and right. yeah <laughs> but that was the first yeah. time I think I ever heard a wrestling term used. Uh, somebody use it around me. <laughs> I got smartened up when I was 13. Wow. And by 16, I was speaking Carney with the best of them. Now, nobody knows what the hell Carney is. Right. 
No need I, for it. I guess it was a few years ago, Scott. Um, I'm thinking maybe I'm wanting to say maybe 15 years ago. It might have been longer. Where Brian Blair came out with a book called Smarten Up, Say It Right. Yep. Was that about 15 years ago? Uh, I'd say it's probably, I'd say it's more like 20. I was going to say it might have, yeah, because I said 15 and that might have been, might have been longer. Yeah, probably 20. Now that book, talk about a book that got heat. That book got a lot of heat from inside the business. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? No, because, you know, I think that oh, came out brother. probably at, right after Oli's book. Maybe it was before. Oh, if dude. it was before Oli's book, then I can see that. Oh, no, no, no. That got a lot of heat. A lot of heat. Wow. Yeah. Guys, they didn't want. No, because it was, uh, it was basically, you know, B. Brian Blair was, you know, tipping the hat, you know. How did it, how did it sell? Did it? Was it did it do well? Oh, it, it sold moderately well, but then again, at the time, Nikki, the business was was becoming half smart anyway, hmm. and everybody was like, you know, wanting to, you know, like Scott Teal walking around with the proverbial piece of paper in his pocket with <laughs> words on it. Now you had a whole book of words, you know. Now, yeah, and the fans loved it, you know, and it Absolutely. sold moderately well. But the the boys in the back, none too happy would be Brian and Blair after that, because Brian got a lot of heat after that, a lot. I just looked it up. It was two thousand one, so uh, fifteen, four, uh, nineteen years. You were close. Yeah, I was going to say I'm I'm usually pretty good that way. Yeah. Um, but it it but, show it talked about how to speak Carney and it didn't just give oh words. God, yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. You know how to That's speak it. Everything. That's exactly what I'm saying. You know that that was the one last vestige that the boys claimed as their own. Carney was their language. Yep. You know it it was handed down from carnival wrestling to big time wrestling. That was the one thing that we had that was ours. Oh, yes. And now, here we are selling our trade secrets, you know, prostituting it, giving it away, you know? And a lot of guys were none too happy with with Brian Blair for that. (laughs) But along those lines, there have been other uh, professional wrestlers over the years retired uh, some still in the business who have for whatever reason personal gain or uh personal grudges whatever the case may be decided to not only tell their story but while i'm at it let's just tell this person's story too and let's tell that story and let's tell why this happened and why that happened and nikki you're shaking your head you know where i'm going with it yes um yeah so let's talk about that, Nikita. Um, guys that, uh, and Scott, chime in on this. Guys that aren't satisfied with just getting their piece out, they want to do damage while they're doing it. Cool. So let's talk about those kind of guys. Well, it's life. I mean, people, 
uh, it goes on with Hulk Hogan. Okay, everybody wants to just badmouth Hulk Hogan because they are jealous of him. He's the luckiest guy there ever was. He came in at a time he just he got on the train and the train was running. Where everybody else, they were in a stagecoach, man, but they still yeah. made it. Hogan, yeah, he had the look, but he had the whole machine of the company behind him. So people resent that. Yeah. No matter what they say or how, whether they say it in public or not, they resent it. So sure, Venom's always going to come out. A lot of people spell ego with an I. You know, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. Just like I always hear, I I sold out the building. I sold out the building. They all sold out the building. It's like, you know something? I bought the tickets. I came to see Johnny Rods, Russell Perko yeah. in the opener. I came to see everybody, man. It wasn't one match. It was great. Like mm-hmm. when Chief and Valentine were going to go at it, but we wanted to see everything, man. That was what it's about. But exactly. You can't, you can't get guys to just let go of, hey, I had my time and I, I was mid card. And that was great. Well, Nikki, let's stop right there, Nikki. That is a perfect segue. It's a Perfect, perfect segue. A guy, and I got a lot of examples of guys that wrestled long past their prime, guys that should have, you know, left the business 20, 30 years ago that are unfortunately still around. Scott, have you had those moments where you had to, to kind of put your foot down? Um, and not write someone's story uh, and uh, refuse someone's story because uh, of either, uh, like Nikki said, the, the ego factor or the, uh, uh, or the look at me factor or the what about me factor. Have you had to do that? No, I haven't had to put, put a whole, uh, book aside and say I wasn't going to do it. I mean, I have, re- I did refuse to do Van Vader's. We got, we talked about it and we planned to, but, uh, he got sort of nasty because I couldn't get to it when he wanted. And I said, screw it. I don't need it. I said, uh, you find another publisher. I said, I do a lot of work for you guys and I'm not going to well, waste my time. So in the I, interest of full disclosure, Scott, that's the, that's the person I was actually going to mention, but I'm glad that, that you said the name rather than I. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I even sent him a little recorder. I said, get started. I said, go ahead and start recording. I sent him questions. I said, get started on your, on these questions Just start talking in the recorder and tell yeah. your story and verbally, and then you, you can send it to me. I'll take it off. I'll type it up. He didn't even do that. Instead, he wanted to tell me it had been six months and I hadn't even called him to get started on the book when I had told him it was going to be a year before I could even begin. So I just left yeah. it at that. But as far as anybody else, uh, I have had guys that, that, that get into the ego thing. I did this, I did that. But you know what I do? I just leave it out because when they read I, that, when they read the book, they don't remember what they told me. You know, exactly. they, they, they read, they don't think, oh, wait a second. I told him that I uh, sold out Madison Square Garden six times and they were hanging from the rafters and, and the guy had never been outside of Tennessee. Well, you know, I just don't put that story in there. He doesn't think about that, you know, so. Or I'll pare it back a little bit. You know, I'll say we yeah. had really good crowds or something, you know. But no, I never worry about that. I just I just leave stuff out, you know. I'm going to share a story with, that I've shared on the show before. Uh, I've never told uh, Nikki and you, you, Scott, have the benefit of hearing for the first time as well. Um, you, all, you all know ECW's hardcore guy, uh, New Jack. 
Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, New Jack stayed with me for two days. He was here because I was going to write his book for him. Okay. The book was going to be called You Don't Know Jack. Good. Okay. <laughs> good question. That's a good I title. I came up with a great title. I had it, you know, trademarked and, you know, copyrighted. I'm sorry, not trademarked, copyrighted. And I was begin- beginning to, and I had a notebook this thick. And he and I talked and we had this dialogue going on. Well, after three or four half gallons of vodka, he got really irate and really resentful and for whatever reason. And I've said this story before, so I have, there's no repercussions. He knows it happened. He knows it's true. And he's never tried to stop me from telling. Uh, and he's not going to. So he started to get really irate about this book. And then he wanted to pull out of it. Well, by that point, the book was 90% finished. So after he um, decides that I'm the bad guy now, um, he, uh, you know, um, kind of does this with the book. He, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? He admonishes me as this horrible, evil person. He walks away from the book. And wants nothing to do with it. Okay, so that's fine. Meantime, I'm holding on to his life story. In like three binders this thick. Mm. And he wants them. On one problem, he cannot have them. Because I own them. And I still own them. Um, A guy like that can be a nuisance. Mm-hmm. Until or unless you can afford, as I did, to pick up the phone and call your attorney and make him go away, which I did. Have you ever had to do that? I haven't. Nikki, the only, the it's the first time you've ever heard this story, Nikki. Oh, it wouldn't apply to me because I don't have that kind of situation. It would only be Scott, actually. Yeah. Because I yeah, don't. Not, I haven't. Him, you could just beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah no i haven't had that situation the only legal problems i've had was came from rocky johnson after i wrote his book and that was a whole rigmarole there that was just a bunch of the well, biggest this, bunch of mess. you know what there was a story and you know what i have you here so let me get it from the horse's mouth the story circulating at the time was that the furor over this book Caused you and Rocky a falling out, caused you a falling out with the Cauliflower Alley Club, et cetera, et cetera. Can you set the record straight, please, so I know that I heard it from you? Right. No, I had left the Cauliflower Alley. uh, Well, I I left the Cauliflower Alley before the book was actually published. Okay. Uh, Just problems with Brian Blair. I mean, I won't say any more than that. It's you, you don't want to hear about. It. There's places you can hear about it, but I, oh, no, I left the call for Alley completely. I left there. I had done Rocky's book. I wrote. I spent uh, good. It was about five months writing his book. I even wrote Dwayne Johnson's forward. I wrote everything. So after what happened was there was a Canadian company uh, that published at ECW Press. They wanted uh, Rocky on the contract. And, and if I was going to be on the contract, they couldn't give us the advance that they, they, they were giving us the biggest advance they had given anybody. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, if my name as an American was on the contract, they couldn't do it because part of that advance was coming from the Canadian go- uh, grant from the Canadian government. So it had to be strictly a Canadian author. So I called Rocky. I said, what do we do? We want to get this advance. He says, just let he says, we'll just go with it. Let me sign it. And whenever I get a check, I'll send you half. All right. I get the first one third of that advance. He sends me a check. Weeks later, I get a letter from his lawyer, John, uh, is it Calton that writes these comic books, wrestling comic books? He sends me a letter saying I am owed nothing else on the book. And then shortly after that, I get a letter, a letter from another attorney from Rocky. It says I'm owed, uh, that if I don't sign over complete authorship to the book to Rocky, where I have nothing to do with it whatsoever, they're going to sue me. Now, I... I couldn't have cared less about the money. I mean, it, it, yeah, I'd like to have it, but it doesn't bother me. I'm doing well. I've got a good pension. It's not like I have to have it. But the fact that Rocky did that after I spent five months of my life writing his book, that he did mm-hmm. nothing except answer my questions. Yeah. So that, so, but that wasn't the falling out. The problem, the reason they pulled the book from the shelves was because Rocky Johnson gave ECW Press so much crap so much garbage about one thing or another that mm-hmm. they finally said, we're going to pull it. Now, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars producing it, printing it, getting it into bookstores, and they, had, they did a recall. So yeah. The problem was Rocky, Rocky all along. He, and you know why Rocky had the problem with me is because Brian Blair got him in his ear and told him lies about me. And I've got, got it on uh, a voicemail from Rocky where he called and apologized, said he should have never listened to the boys. Because yeah. they put all this stuff in his ear. And, of course, that was before I got the second letter from, from the attorney. So, so, yeah, it was Brian that got in his ear and turned him against me. But, but that had yeah. nothing to do with our, our falling out or the book being pulled from the stores. The book yeah. got pulled from the stores because Rocky was just a jerk. May he rest in pieces. Yeah. I understand. Um, the fact that Rocky is also Canadian by birth uh, didn't hurt his cause. And certainly did nothing to help yours. Right. Uh, look, the work is the work, you know. If you put yeah. the work in, you get paid for the work you do. I'm a big believer in that. Um, I'm sure, you know, amicable agreements could have been made that did not have to result in that. But greed is a funny, funny mistress, mm-hmm. you know. Especially money's a funny thing, especially when you don't have it. You know, and Rocky didn't have it at the time. No, when this happened, Rocky was getting a million dollars a year from his son. He his son bought him all his always bought Mm -hmm. him his houses. He paid for his maids. He paid for landscapers. He bought him already prepared meals delivered to their house every day. Rocky had no need for. He bought him cars whenever Rocky needed a new car. He had millions of dollars, and yet he chose to screw little me out of the little bit of money we do got. That's amazing because here, here we are. We're being told that he had nothing, you know, and you were you were being made out to be this, you know, this this evil dastardly kind of you know snidely whiplash uh, character, right. you know, rubbing the hands, you know, just tasting the, the money in your fingers, right? You know, trying to to beat him out of a, uh, uh, you know, his. His measly pension. Well, right. come to find out he was doing a hell of a lot better than you. And yeah. I didn't realize, because quite frankly, I bought into that narrative 
you know, that uh, that he had nothing then, uh, you know, oh. the proverbial pot to piss in or window to throw it out of. Oh, you ought to see his house. He's, he had a beautiful house in Fort Lauderdale. We went down, visited him for two, three days and scanned pictures. Well, so I know pictures that, that, that his son, Dwayne, spent a shitload of money on him. That I know. Yep. That's well documented. Yeah. Um, you know, because as much, uh, you know, and, and Nikita, you know, this guys in the wrestling business, they're not the, the swiftest guys in the world with a, with a buck saving a dollar. They're not the swiftest. And unfortunately to say they're not the most honest from A to Z. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta count your fingers when you shake hands with a lot of people in that business. Yeah, I know. You, uh, do I still have them? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, man, it's so sad. Nikolai. Carney, Carney doesn't stop when they leave the ring. No, no. And one thing that always amazed me when I first That's started. That's a real travel, good point. I'm going to get back to that one. Go ahead, Nikki. When I first started to travel with Nikolai, people would say, take care of Nikolai. Take care of Nikolai. And I'm thinking, take care of Nikolai. I'm the new guy in the town here. What's going on? But it, then I realized he was such a kind soul. You could beat him. Okay. Yes. Yeah, And it was like, I understand what they're saying now. Yeah, you got to watch the money and you got to watch the conditions of the agreements because there weren't always contracts. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah. you get there and Nikolai, I only seen him mad two times and that was enough for me. It wasn't at me, but it was like, forget about it because he, he's, you know, we heard the same story recently. In fact, on my show, um, told twice by two different people. Um, Jeff Miller, the metal maniac, told the story. And Phil LaRusso, Jimmy Snooker's best friend, told the story about Jimmy not knowing how to count money. Mm. He didn't know how. He, he only knew how to sign his autograph. Wow. He knew how to sign his name. <laughs> and uh, he knew what a $20 bill looked like, and he knew what certain bills looked like. But generally, he he couldn't count, like, large amounts of money. And a lot of people used to take advantage of him. You know, Jeff Miller told the story a couple of times uh, where Jimmy had instances where he was basically could have been ripped off were it not for, you know, some honest benevolent person being you know uh close by or involved in a transaction where you know they gave him his honest share of what he had coming to him um let's talk about guys along those lines talk about guys that you've had the right for uh or you've had the co-author for First of all, let's, let me go back for just a half a second. Let's talk about co-authoring someone's book. Now, Nikita, you you actually wrote part of this book? Yes. yes. Okay. Most of it. All of it, really. Okay. I tuned it now, up. In a case, Scott, where your name is on there and you're doing either most of the writing or you're co-authoring the book, right? Mm-hmm. How do I want to say this? Um, <laughs> do, I'm, I'm trying to be polite about it. Well, let me, uh, give, let me give you this. In my case, 
like Scott said, the key to this reads like a police report. I had the the meat of it there, but yeah. he when he says he tuned it up, well, I okay. gave him five hundred pages. So it would have been like it was outrageous. Yeah, Scott, well, that, and I'm glad you, you I'm glad you did that, Nikki, because I was trying to be delicate. <laughs> uh, I was. I was trying to be, uh, what's the word, diplomat? <laughs> I was trying to be, I'm not a fucking diplomat. I'm sorry. Um, I tried to be diplomatic, but thank you, Nikki. You're, uh, you knew where I was going it with this. It was like a broken window. I brought the glass to Scott. He framed it and put it in there, and then everything was fine. There you go. Okay. <laughs> now, have you ever had somebody try to reframe your glass for you, Scott? <laughs> No, not really. Uh, everybody, really, the guys I've written with have been real happy with what I've done. Uh, they, there's really only been a few people that have written a book where I would almost take it and just publish it like it was. Nikita's yeah. one of them. You know, he, he's he's a good writer, despite what he says about not liking English and all that stuff. He, you know, he he, he did a great job. Yeah. I always put it. I take, I take. I let I these love guys. Th- these guys sit. These guys send me a melody. Okay. And I, and I take it and I add all the orchestra parts to it. I, there I sort you go. Of, you that know, is a make great, it a great analogy. It's like writing a song. Right. That's right. Like, like being a songwriter. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I tune it up, write the harmony, write the, make the symphony out of it. You know, that, that's my job. And that's what I do best. In fact, I've told people I couldn't, I mean, I could probably, but I couldn't sit down and actually write a whole book, a book myself. But I can take what somebody else does and I can make it sing. I mean, that's that's just my strength. I'm not bragging, but that's just what yeah. I do well. You know, well, I can no, take- I under, uh, believe me, I understand that all too well. In fact, the other night, I had Vince Russo here along with Mike Williams from the Sage of Quay Radio. We were doing a show on uh, the death of Paul McCartney. And I had the, these two rather large books. Each book is in excess of 670 pages called the memoirs of Billy Shears and trying to have a, 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 an hour and a half conversation about a book that's 672 pages, but now you've got two books in excess of 670 plus pages. Wow. Is, is an opus. Okay. Mm. I'm trying to make this a pocket novel you know, this conversation I'm having, um, but it's not to be because the subject matter is so broad. Have you ever had to deal with that where the subject matter was so broad that trying to bring it into to perspective was hard to do? Not really. Uh, really? Most of, most of most of my books have been done by my questions. You know, I, I'll interview these guys 60, 70, 80 hours worth. And then I sit down and just sort of, and so I've got an outline that I follow, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't, it generally doesn't uh, move off from wrestling a whole lot. You know, I do hit their childhood and because, right. uh, you know, what they learned as a child and things it is a child that a lot often interprets into their, to their adult life. You know, you, you learn yeah. things. So, so no, most of it, we stay on wrestling and then we get into what they did after the business and we don't even go, you know, real deep there. So I, I've never had a problem with that. They've always, always it's, stayed uh, pretty focused. It, it is a, uh, it, it can be a very tangled web indeed to weave writing, <laughs> a, write, writing a book, but then add the drama 
and the complexities of the world of pro wrestling on top of it, truly, I mean this, God bless you when I say this, you know, and uh, because it is, it's not an easy task. I, I've written two books, I can tell you, again, I'm, I'm not an author by, by any stretch. Um, quick plug, though, my first book was called Psychic Fingerprints, A Life's Manifesto, and my second book was called Stay Tuned, a psychic look from the theological perspective. Hmm. Very good. So, no children's books? <laughs> not hardly. <laughs> not hardly. <laughs> nah. But I'll tell you what. Hey, now, Scott and I never had a crossword throughout all of the. Oh, no. There was fact checking. Oh, boy. I think we wore each other out, but it had to be done. Because it yeah, had oh, to be done. Yeah. Well, now, email, Nikki, email. Because most of the information in your book came from you, your ability to cross-check facts was fairly simple, I'm assuming, right? Yes. No, not in re- wrestling. <laughs> oh, no? You're getting a yes and a no. Oh, no, you're talking about match results. <laughs> oh, I mean, in, in general terms of oh. the factual basis of your book. Oh, okay, I got you. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree with Nikki there. Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking about the results and stuff, what I was referring to when I say no, it's there's some things uh, like the Peter Maivia thing. I mean, we I had to gotcha. dig on that. There's things like that that it's almost impossible to check because, as I said earlier, it's not like football. It's not like baseball, any other sport. This stuff just wasn't written down, and so we really well, have to dig. So, Scott, then, if if it if in a situation or circumstances where an individual is no longer living to validate something, are there secondary sources of validation that you go through? Uh, are you talking about like if I'm writing a book with somebody that's not no, no, that's no longer living? Yeah, if you're, or if, just uh, the story. For example, if uh, if Nikita refers to a story where one of the parties of that story is deceased. Well, then you, you have Nikki's word to go on, but if right. you truly want to validate the story, there has to be either other people party to that story or, or other or individuals who knew that person who could, who can, for lack of a better term, validate the veracity of it or confirm whether it actually happened. There's really two parts to that. The first part is, a lot of the book is written first person. Nikita experienced those things. So, you know, those things we don't have to validate because he was there. He saw the things that happened in the TV studio. He saw the things that happened at the Cap Center. You know, he mm-hmm. talked to Peter, uh, not Peter, but my via, but he talked to uh, Nikolai about some of these things. So he had a lot of that stuff uh, down. The other thing is, yeah, there are stories that... Uh, that he he couldn't verify that we had the I had uh, one of us had to research somewhere. I went a lot of newspaper archives. Uh, I pulled out old Wrestling Observer sure. newsletters. Okay. A lot of times the Wrestling Observer, of course, that only goes so, so far back. But yeah, then you had true. you know you have the obits in the in the Observer, uh, old newsletters that I've got from the old fan clubs. Uh, so th- there are ways of checking, but there's a lot of the personal stories. Now you can't. You, there's just no way to check them and. Unless well, it's a bad story, I wouldn't, you know, to have no hesitation to go ahead and about it. it. You know, Scott, had you thought about it and had you known me back in, in the day, 
validating, verifying, affirming all the information you wanted would have been just a phone call away. Because I know Bill Apter, and Bill Apter knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Bill knows everything and everybody. He can tell you what happened back in 1951. Yeah. Because he was probably there, and he probably took pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Bill. We all love Bill Apter. Uncle Bill. Oh, yeah. He's yep. the I, I'd make Jess, but I would love Bill. He's, he is really. He, there's a man that's a treasure trove. Yep. Well, speaking of, I'll tell you what, we we barely scratched the surface of this one, but we only have an hour for this episode. Tonight, I have part two. Uh, we were, this is the writer's room. This is part one of the writer's room with Scott Teal. Join us later this evening with part two of the writer's room. Kenny Casanova will be with us tonight. Good old. Uh, along with uh, Dan, the man, Sebastiano, my co-host. I am flying solo on this one. Wanted everybody, it's going to move my microphone here. I want everyone to check out. The, look at this. Scott, I got to get you one of these. Nikki, I got to get you one too. Look Please. Yeah, I love it. Beautiful. Wrestling with the Future t shirts. Can you see Mike? Can you see what my t shirt says? Yeah, I have CDO like it's so CDO. <laughs> That's funny shit. I like that. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> tonight, when you talk to them, when you talk to Kenny tonight, get part two of the Vader story because he's the one that picked up the story, and he told oh, me himself. Okay. I told him a little bit about what happened to me, and he told me himself. He says it was not an easy process working with Vader. He says it was like you know, I got to tell night. you, um, I have heard, I've I've heard horror stories about Leon. I really have. It, it, they range from he was the greatest guy in the world that would give you the shirt off his back to he was a son of a bitch that didn't care about nothing but himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and every, you know, every gambit between A and Z, you know? And you find that about a lot of people. I don't care how, how good they are, you know, how bad yeah, they are. Don it, Owen. Scott, is it just that way or is it just that way in wrestling, Nikki? It depends. It depends. Human nature, you know, and yeah. that's a spin. However it lands, that's where it is. I wish that I had more time for this episode. I really do, but we are limited to an hour for this one. Thank so, you for having me on, I, well, no, I I'm gonna, Thank you. I got to have you back. I got to have you back. Um, Nikita, you know, this is an open-door policy, but you, yes, you're, you're welcome here anytime, and as left. long as the Screen Actors Guild says it's okay. <laughs> I could be a guest all day long, no problem. I just can't co-host. I know, I know. Bastards. One thing I one thing I'd like when Nikita comes back is I can only see half of his face, which I assume is the good side. The evil side is on, is over here on this side because it's the, the screen splits right down his nose. He's got one of the greatest profiles in wrestling, too. By the way, I love that. <laughs> Man, the oh guy. man, that promo picture you got is killer. I love that promo picture. It's great. <laughs> Scott Teal, promote your stuff, bro. Go, go for it. Oh, just go to crowbarpress.com. It's all there. Everything I've published. I've got four books coming out in the next. Uh, well, by the end of August, so uh, I'll be making a lot of announcements about those. And uh, just check out crowbarpress.com, and it's pretty well self-explanatory. And get when it was real. That's the book we want on everybody's coffee table. Front and center, Nick. Look at that. 
Yes, Bob Backlund and Greg Valentine on the cover, February 19, 1979, the President's Day Storm. It meant so much to us. It, 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 it's what it's about. It's about the love that fans had and yes. why you could believe in it. It's about when it was real, Nikki. 50 years yes. ago, we still believe in it. Right. And, I, and I have that book behind me there. See that? It's front and center. I put it there for a reason. I'm marking out for my friend, Nikki. Thank you, sir. And I wanted everybody <laughs> to buy his book. And uh, and I have one. And, uh, and oh, Scott, by the way, speaking Scott, of books. But, you know, when we're talking about money and things like that, Scott told me in the beginning, this is not about profit. It's about passion. And I said, amen. I'm on board with it. No problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. I made Without money, I'd be writing about football or something else. <laughs> Brother, let me tell you something. It, it it cost me more money to publish my book than the book made. And you know what? I don't care. I, I, I made minus $4,000 from my book. And you know what? I'd do it again, too, because it was just the fact that I was able to, to put pen to paper, put my name on a book, have it out there, and it was worth it. Absolutely. Because I did something I knew I could do. And, and Nikki, you feel the same way. I know that. Yes. And when you see the comments, it almost makes you cry. It's worth it. Yeah. People appreciate what you Knowing that you had an effect on somebody, too. I was not a WWF fan as a kid. I never, I mean, I saw it in all the magazines and I didn't care anything about it. And even up until I got with Nikita, I didn't really think that much about it. But I tell you what, reading that book has brought me a whole new appreciation. Oh my God. Are you kidding? That's great. I learned a lot. It's just as a side note, Scott, my co-host on the show is a guy named Dan Sebastiano. I call him Dan the man. He's from Norfolk, Virginia. He said to to, um, one of the guests I had on, in fact, Nikki, I don't know if you might've been on the show, Nikki, or was it, it might've been either Nikki or Doc Diamond, he said, to, he asked the question, how is it, why is it that so many great wrestlers, stars came out of the Northeast? And, um, and I don't know if it was, if you were on the show, Nikki, no, no, but the answer, and I think it was Doc Diamond, the Hall of Fame trainer who said they had the good sense to be born here. And really, that's the truth. It's just, this is a breeding ground for great wrestling. Yes. You know, I mean, they had the good sense to be born here. Well, you either have New York, the Bergs, and PA. It's a huge area. Yeah, Washington, Baltimore. I mean, it's it's so, it is, you know, I know they talked about, don't say territory, but it was territorial. (laughs) W-O-R. Yeah. Every week, championship wrestling was always geared to the garden. Everything Phil Zacco could then take from that for his Baltimore show and yep. Philadelphia and Washington. And then everybody else, like out on the Cape Cod and uh, yeah. you know, people out there, witchies. You know, we like, but the main focus was the garden. That was Black Friday every month. Mm-hmm. And it was WrestleMania every month when you really go back and look at it. Yeah. And you know what, too, Nikki, another name that we forget to, to history besides Phil Zacco is Ray Fabiani, the guy who ran Philadelphia. Right. Hmm. Ray hmm. Fabiani. Yeah. You know, there's a show, too, Ange, the promoters of that time. Yeah. 
Rudy Miller, Tootsmont. There's oh, a lot of guys. God, sure. Oh, please. Um, you know what we're gonna do? We should have and it's and Scott and Nikki, while I have you here, this is a you just prompted a show idea, believe it or not. Why don't we do a show on the great promoters of the twentieth century? Okay. Why yes. don't we do that? Why don't we plan to it do that? Be honored, yeah. Love when you had a show with Adam, right? Sounds great. Yep. I gotta make sure that when when I tell Scott that I gotta give him like a three day heads up on it so he can get home in time, turn his camera on. You just gotta tell me whether it's central time or eastern time. I know I'm, just, I'm busting your chop. Brother. I know you are. But thank you for thank you for joining me today. Nikki, you're thank always you. a welcome member of the family. And uh, and I will be calling upon you shortly, my dear friend. Okay. For Nikita Brezhnikov. For Scott Teal. Keeping it real. I'm Angelo. Happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you next time. Actually, we'll see you tonight in a few hours. Bye-bye.